This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Red Earth, a one-trunk theater projection presented by Theater Projects Manitoba in partnership with Prairie Theater Exchange, which sounds fancy, but the truth is it's a play about going to Mars. And when it's over, you get a graphic novel about going to Mars. So what should you do? You should go to our play. Tickets available at brownpapertickets.com. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Hello, this is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am your host, Gregory Kamichek. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin, of Chasing Artwork. And Justin has brought somebody in today for a reckoning. Hello, Ian. (laughs) Hi. So I came into the studio the other day. And there's Justin working away at his computer dutifully, or maybe he was paper trolling by then. What I noticed first was the giant black eye he had. And so uh, our special guest today is Ian, <laughs> who punched out Chasing Artwork. Oh, man. You know, it's... Welcome. Uh, <clears throat> Happy to have you. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a weird moment. Uh, I had some people over on the weekend, uh, and Justin was, was one of them, and he shows up with his black eye, and I was like, what happened to you, slugger? And he looks at me with this look of determination in his eyes, you. <laughs> I said, oh, he's going to get me back for that. <laughs> so when you're not punching out our co-host, we'll come back to that story later, yeah. so we'll just leave people hanging. Um, what do you normally do uh i'm a software developer for a small company uh called tutelar technologies and uh, we have dug ourselves into a niche in the manufacturing industry dun, dun, dun. yes very very far from the arts <laughs> well you say that but you guys are doing some pretty creative stuff so one of the things that goes on in this show often is we talk about the work-life balance of being a freelancer and justin uh would often point out Ian to us, dear listeners, as somebody who he thought had a really great work-life balance, who was a freelancer, who worked in a creative field, even if he doesn't conceptualize it that way himself, has to serve masters in distant lands, um, (laughs) and has to stay healthy, fit, and productive on his own schedule. So since all of those things are valuable to all of us in our freelancing lives, we thought we would bring you on. Um, And... Uh, at some point in the podcast, Justin will hit you with the right cross. Oh, <laughs> this is what I know. Oh, this isn't the celebrity boxing episode. No. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that, uh, it's funny that you, that you word it that way. And, um, and I, you know, just, just seeing you yesterday, uh, you worded it as, as life balance. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought that that was that was very interesting because I I didn't think that I I wasn't aware if I've if I've ever really uh, expressed that to either of you in the past. But um, balance is truly one of the fundamental philosophies that I guide my life by. Is balance. You know, I'm obsessed with uh, the yin and the yang. That symbol yin yang is engraved in my mind. You know, I don't have any tattoos. I figure if I ever had one, it would just be a yin yang, not stylized. I think the 90s ruined that a little bit. It might have. (laughs) Maybe. maybe. Uh, But I was, I'm very influenced by 
uh, by that whole concept, that, that concept of the balance between, you know, chaos and order. And, um, and it is something that I try to enforce in my life at all times, you know. And uh, so life balance, as you're saying, which may allude to the idea that I try not to focus too much on one thing. You know, I try to spread my interests out. So, you know, I'm very passionate about my work. But at the end of the day, I don't want to, that's not the only thing that I want to do. Right. I want to, you know, I want to engage myself in other things that I think benefit my life. And as a whole, each of those different things benefits one another. You know, you can't you can't just devote yourself to one thing 100 percent of the time and expect to be good or healthy with it. I think that you need balance in your life. And I think that's what we see with a lot of especially artists. I'm, I'm thinking like some particular examples of. Um, people who start doing artwork or comics full-time and then just that is all they do they sit indoors they sit in their room or in the basement and they go 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 until they start to basically burn out and usually health declines a little bit and they just start to get a little miserable and it's it just seems like a very hard thing for a lot of people to find that balance to find any kind of balance because they just want to they just want to focus on the one Mm -hmm. thing and that not a healthy thing to do it's unsustainable yes yeah. yeah too much of too much of anything well yeah and you know we know a lot of those people in our in our world and mm-hmm. we know a lot of people that look uh, or listen to this podcast or whatever and they think oh you guys kind of have it figured out but I think an important point is that we don't necessarily have it figured out we still look to other people who we think maybe have it more figured out who are outside of our um, outside of our creative peers and say like what are they doing that is the same and what are they doing that's different and what are some things that we can big bore or steal from that? And, you know, we were, as we were walking back uh, uh, from the coffee shop today before the show, you were talking about how uh, when you get jammed up in trying to figure out a new um, piece of the programming that you're doing, you reach out to, you have a boss, you have a mentor kind of, but the way you were describing the relationship was nearly identical to the way I hear writers and comic book makers talk about their relationship with their editors, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I, I know the story, I know the structure, I know what it is I'm trying to do, but I just can't see the forest for the trees right now, and so you find someone who is looking at the bigger picture maybe. Mm-hmm. Is that how you would describe that? <laughs> you know, it, uh yeah, the forest for the trees idea and just and just having someone who can see the bigger picture uh, for the first two years uh, of my uh, I'll call it employment. I was technically working as a contractor and we can get into that a little later. But um, for the first two years of my employment with this company, uh, I went into it never really understanding what it was that I was doing. You know, um, I would go, I would go into it and, you know, I would be assigned a certain task and, you know, whenever I completed it, I would, you know, sort of come up for air and talk to the boss and he would just sort of like expand the blinders just a little bit more to let me see just a little bit more of the bigger picture. And every time he did it, I felt like I was overwhelmed. I was like, man, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, I was never trained for this. I don't know what I'm doing. And then he would just say, nope, just go figure it out. You know, it's funny, this almost this identical conversation I had with some people who were writing for Marvel Comics mm-hmm. when they, there was some strict editorial in the late 90s and the early 2000s where um, just the the politics of how they had to write they didn't know what the big story arcs would be so they would only be revealed like okay you're doing these two issues and it should contain these kind of characters and this kind of content 
write your story, but we're not telling you what the bigger picture is until you turn it in. And then we'll expand the purview a little bit more. Yeah, a little and bit. And then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and each time, each time, uh, I would just be over... I, I, this feeling of overwhelm would, uh, would you know... I just, it was really scary for the first little while until I just eventually became desensitized to it. Um, you know, I just knew that whenever, whatever it is, my initial reaction is, I don't know how to do that, or I'm not ready for that, or whatever it is. But, you know, thankfully, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a great relationship with my boss, and he, and he just said, you'll figure it out. Just go figure it out. And I did every single time. You know, and so I'd go figure it out. I'd work on something. I'd put it all together and then I'd do it again. Hey, what's next? And then he'd reveal a little bit more. And it's like, oh my God, this thing is just never ending. So now I'm just at a point where I know that this is a really big project. And I know that there's a lot of different moving pieces that I'm unaware of so far, but we'll get there. All the time you are keeping the continuity going, bending, stretching, everything you know suppose you know i mean you, you just keep it moving and is that kind of the journey to like it, it just makes me think of when i started working as a designer when i started working in video games if they had told me the entire scope of the project and everything oh. that was going on i would have been like petrified but mm -hmm. because it was like you're just doing this character and this one little animation like that is that's it. That's you. Right. And then eventually, okay, now you're taking like all these characters and this environment. And then eventually it was like this level design and blah, blah, blah. And is that just kind of you growing as a professional and learning to handle more and more until you can handle that big picture? Is that something probably healthy to have in your career? I think so. There's also a parallel, I think, in the writer's life in that you have this idea of what your body of work is supposed to be. Mm -hmm but you can only do it one little piece at a time, mm -hmm. right? And every time you, you strike upon a theme or an idea or like a, a core belief that you want to infuse into your work, either subtly or overtly, you realize that you're never going to be able to get it in everywhere. And maybe, like, maybe, it's, maybe it's just your ego or maybe it's just your, uh, uh, like an overabundance in like imaginary confidence that you have at the beginning of a project that you use up too soon. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel like you shouldn't try to do the whole big picture, right? It's partly, I mean, it's yeah. one of the reasons we got you in this chair because we see you as someone who, who is sitting in as a piece of this big picture, yeah. but has to sit down and, and grind. Yeah. Well, right? and to answer Justin's question as to whether this is, uh, you know, part of the job and, and a necessary skill, I would, I would absolutely say yes, that, um, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing that I think a good visionary director, whether that's a manager or editor or writer or anything like that, someone who, uh, needs to be able to direct people needs to have a, a good understanding of the big picture. And I think that, you know, my boss uh, has exercised a very, a very important uh, technique in just showing the people enough, you know, so that you, you don't completely overwhelm them with just the huge scope of the project that you're working on. Just enough to, like, make sure that they can handle it. And then when they're ready for more, you give them a little bit more. Does that help the person in charge kind of keep 
a measure of control as well. Like if everybody knew everything, Mm -hmm. would it start to be like too many cooks in the kitchen? Like everybody would start to have big ideas about the overall picture. I can imagine so. But because you're kind of like isolating tasks, it's, you know what I'm Yeah. And I also think that in any realm where you're trying to be a first mover, you're trying to innovate something. If you, if you systematize the big picture Mm -hmm. too soon, now you're limiting people's ability to, change, grow, or adapt within that system, right? Mm -hmm. If it's like, well, we're not doing anything, we're not doing any A's because the project is B. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that is the solution to something you're trying to solve and you shouldn't, you know, shouldn't Mm -hmm. discount it. Absolutely. I think it's it's a key skill um, when you're managing people um, in order to be able to to try to set people to certain tasks because you know that, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of of your team. But from an individual perspective as well, you know, the whole creative process, you may have a general idea of what you want to, the kind of story that you want to tell. But in order to write, you know, any specific chapter or any specific paragraph, you need to zone in on like the very specific things to that. So it's important to kind of have the big picture in mind, but you need to focus on the little, the smaller things. Yeah. Like how will I get there? is one thing, but I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here is kind of what you need to do. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you overwhelm yourself with that big picture, then you're constantly wondering, okay, you know, like you may, you may just be overwhelmed with information that's going to ultimately block you from, uh, accomplishing the task that you have in front of you. So why things like, uh, we use a very simplified version of scrum at the studio right. where it's single tasks on, um, yeah. post-its and a lot of the times when I'm feeling overwhelmed with the amount of things going on I'll make a list and it's like that thing that one thing on the list like that as I'm just putting on the blinders and that's all I'm thinking about mm-hmm. or doing just so you can move it yeah just yeah. you got to keep moving and if you keep thinking about everything you're gonna yeah absolutely up. you know that and that's funny um, because you're giving a, you have a really good visual uh, description of, of the way that I'd like to um, imagine just software development, you know, like it, it seems to me like there are a lot of people around me that like to call what I do some form of wizardry. Yeah, I always call your internet wizard. His you screen know? looks like a hacker screen from a movie. Yeah. So all nice colors yeah. and code. Basically, and... if you bump into Ian at a coffee shop, you have to imagine the scenes from Swordfish. Remember there's that a, 90s yeah, movie? Yeah, there's definitely a yeah. heist across the street, and yeah. he is orchestrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a tough uh, it's it's a tough thing for for people to kind of wrap their heads around because you know what they see is this magical box that is capable of incredible things, and uh, you know anybody who's who's ha- who's dabbled a little bit can get overwhelmed very quickly man there's so much to know there's so much technology involved and i can understand that that would be overwhelming but the way that i try to describe it to people is actually no like you can you can kind of break anything down any big system you can kind of break it down if you look at it for what it is if you look at you know the computer as this magical box that just does these incredible magical things and the internet as a whole is this vastly complex network of information and data transfer, then yeah, you can, you can kind of see it like, oh, that's a scary monster. But the fundamentals of everything in a computer, a computer is a very, very simple machine uh, at the end of it, right? Binary. It's on or it's off at the most simple, simple, simple level. So all you need to do when you approach a giant 
problem like that, such as software, but also such as, you know, writing a story or, right. I mean, constructing World any of building, the... building, build a whole universe. Yeah. yeah. You, you take that big problem and then you divide it into smaller problems. And if those problems aren't small enough for you to wrap your head around, then you break each one of those down into smaller problems. And then you create this pyramid, right? And at the very bottom of that pyramid, you've got like a million extremely simple problems. And you can wrap your head around those very easily. Right. <laughs> so once you start, you know, figuring out all those little problems at the bottom, then you just start reassembling it back up to the bigger problem, to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. Then you've got, you know, a computer. So for the dear listener, think of it in terms of uh, the 20 questions game, right? 20, the game 20 questions, you think of something right anything in the universe that you can think of mm -hmm. and then i have 20 questions to figure out what that is mm -hmm. Every yes time no I, questions right? yeah mm -hmm. and they're yes or no questions they're bits mm -hmm. right they're yes or no they're they're either on or they're off mm -hmm. and you can take in a vastly you can take a universe full of knowledge and sum it up to a koala right in 20 questions so when you're talking about breaking it up that's how i see it in my head it's like okay i can gather that yeah. but to me it still feels like a uh magic box that does what I say when I <laughs> click the button, right? Yeah, it, it just depends on, on, you know, how far into it you want to go and how much time you have to spend on it. Um, but when you're talking about your life's pursuit, then get into it. Dive in, you yeah. know, like figure it out. When you want to move, you're moving. And when you move, you are determined to move, not taking anything less than that. If I want to punch, I'm going to do it, man. So if, to the lay person, the person who is like, you know, if we separate uh, cars and drivers, right? So if the computer is just supposed it's there and I get into it, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know. I can't build a car. I can't fix a car. Mm -hmm. um, some mechanics are drivers and some drivers are mechanics, but some people just get in, turn the key and hope it will work, right? Sure. So I see the innovations that are happening under the hood. If I look at a car, if I remember when I would tinker around under the hood a little bit with my dad or my uncle, my uncle was a mechanic, right? And he would be, you know, in the 80s, he would have me look under the hood. When I look under the hood now of cars, it seems vastly more complicated to do the same task than yeah. it was then, right? There were a certain number of parts that made logical sense, yeah. and now it seems to extrapolate and get more complicated. This is the, this is the phenomenon of specialization. This is, this is something that human beings have been using for thousands of years. We keep building on, on top of everything. And the more specialized people get at certain things, the more incredible that one little thing can be, that one little piece of the puzzle is just that much more complex. And so, you know, to, to try to carry your analogy forward here, you know, when you look at an old car, you would have a mechanic who would understand the entire thing. Yeah. And, you know, just any car comes in, you know, they, they know the moving parts. They know all the things that make an engine. They can fix it up. But nowadays, you know, cars are so complex that, you know, you need a specialized mechanic. Um, you might even, it might come to a point where, you know, maybe one mechanic can look at the, can look at the problem, but, oh, you know what? I don't deal in whatever this part is. You got to take it down to the specialist. Probably more so I don't road. have admin privileges on this well, type of car, so I can't. Yeah, well, that happens that. with the yeah. modern cars, right? right. The, you like certain things have computer systems that are, you know, your average mechanic says, no, you have to take it to the dealer. We can't right. actually open this. We're not well, allowed. Well, they lock it out. Yeah, yeah. but um, but the, the whole idea of, of specialization is that, you know, the deeper, uh, you know, the deeper that we get into the complexities of, 
uh, modern invention is, you know, you're trusting the person next to you to have the same level of knowledge, specialized knowledge that you do in the thing that you're making. And then you need somebody, you know, someone who can kind of fit all these things together. Right. Which, you know, when we're talking about Red Earth, it is all these moving parts. There's a director oh. whose job it is to orchestra. They're more like an orchestra. They're like the conductor. Yeah. You know, they just let everyone play their parts. So I have a question. Uh, let's, uh, for the dear listener's sake, I'm going to qualify your job as every day Ian's job is to fix the Internet. Okay? <laughs> Which is a big idea. It's too big. So let's go down to the bits. What does a day for you look like in this job of fixing the Internet? Um, like from wake up to from from getting up to yeah, going to bed, and I'm interested in um, like one of the reasons I wanted to like bring you on the show and and talk about this was um, your actual like work schedule and how you've kind of regimented that. That was something that um, I I really struggled with. The one time I've I've tried to work from home, it was a miserable failure. I think. Um, and so I never really tried to do that again. I, I immediately went into a studio space and things have been a lot yeah, better since. Yeah, our studio space but... is like the software patch on our inability to work from home. <laughs> but you have, you know... It's tough, man. It, it really is. You know, um, whenever, I, whenever I tell people that I work remotely and um, that I kind of adhere to my own schedule, the immediate response typically is, oh, that must be so nice. And it is, don't get me wrong. It's, it's great. It's mm -hmm. great. You know, I can take a morning off and, uh, and come record a podcast with, uh, some of my favorite human beings. <laughs> uh, but it also means that I'm going to have to make that time up later. Right. Uh, yeah, it's really hard, you know? And, uh, I think that the secret to my ability to do it is, uh, is that I use routine. Routine is an incredible tool. Um, that we, that we have, that all animals have really, it's, it's your way of, you know, bringing order from chaos. You know, um, if, uh, if I don't have a work schedule mandated to me the way that, that most people do, uh, well now everything's all of a sudden open. Um, and so I need to, I need to create my own routines or, I mean, this is the way that I've done it is that I create my own routines and I adhere to them just as though I were working on a normal schedule. Um, I'm pretty conventional in the sense that I start early in the morning and I finish later in the afternoon, um, only because I feel that, that my peak productivity times are, are in the mornings. Um, but I mean, I know that, you know, there are a lot of people who work really well in the evenings. I mean, you work until ungodly hours of the, of the night sometimes. I try to, I'm kind of back and forth. I'm on kind of a morning schedule right now. Um, but it's that whole, like everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. Um, I, I typically like a later start and a later finish. I like working like between like seven to midnight. Like I like that pocket of time. Um, cause I feel like nobody else is working so I can kind of, I'm on my own a little right. bit, I guess. Um, and then every once in a while we'll have projects coming up where we need to, go to two three in the morning but those don't come up too often so when they do they're almost a little exciting the like the stress and the the craziness of it it's funny um, you identify that you understood your peak productive time so mm -hmm. when i'm doing art i'm 
my best time to make art is usually between like 8 p.m. and like 2 a.m. Totally. And my best time to write is like 7 a.m. to like noon. Wow. Right? Is just how my brain clicks in, right? And so if I do those two schedules in the same 24-hour period, right, then I'm completely exhausted because I've stayed up super late and then I've gotten up super early (laughs) and you know, I can't sustain that. So when we're talking about balance, it's like, um, picture a seesaw and I'm running to one end of it and it tips and then I run to the other end of it and tips. And there are times in that process where I'm standing in the middle and that's often when I'm at a show or I'm uh, doing a TV interview or like I'm doing something like that where I'm standing in the middle and to the outside world, it looks like I have all this balance, but it's just because I'm on my way <laughs> to the other side of that seesaw, right? And so I thought it would be good, again, to have this conversation for that reason. Yeah, it's it's interesting that I think you just, you just said, sorry, that you uh, are more creative late like at night. Visually mm-hmm. and then with words in the morning oh i see yeah so like from 8 to you know 2 a.m i would love to just do nothing but make art mm-hmm. and from 7 a.m well 6 to 7 a.m to like noon i would love to do nothing but write works and so what would you say is the best time for you to actually execute on the ideas that you've that you've created so that to me i think or you know looking at, at what you do uh from my outside perspective you know, writing the words to me is the execution. You know, you can dream up all the fancy ideas that you've got, all these wonderful, you know, imaginative ideas. But at the end of the day, you need to put those ideas to words. Right. Uh, that's the structure. The words become the structure. Yeah, that's, so, that's true. So yeah. when would you say is your best productive time for just the execution of those ideas? Um... Probably, yeah, between the hours of 8 a.m. and noon. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. Each of your days begins with order and yeah. slowly... Descends <laughs> into to chaos. chaos. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and what I'm up against right now is, uh, you know, the needs of being a good husband and a good father also, which for anyone who is either of those things, right, um, those hours are from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 10 p.m., Right. So there's all these other expectations of my time and expectations that I have on myself for my time that are also competing with all of that. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Be water, my friend. And let me just let me just go back to to the way that you that you phrased that there um, descends into chaos. <laughs> See, I purposely uh, try to avoid uh, that sort of that sort of phrasing. Uh, and again, this this comes back to my my obsession with yin and yang is that people often think of yin and yang as being the representatives of chaos and order. And I think that that's a good way uh, to to keep it in your head. But unfortunately, I think most people believe that chaos is a bad thing, right? A lot of people think, you know, uh, the yin is bad and and yang is good, right? Chaos is bad, order is good. It's not. Um, You have to understand that when you look at things from a real balanced approach, both are good, both are bad. 
So um, the term chaos, although it typically uh, denotes some negative meaning, chaos is also where all creativity comes from, right? That is, that is the abstract. That is the ether. You know, and those then, are all those happy accidents that you didn't plan. I was like, oh God, that looks good. I yeah, didn't mean to true. do that. that but by accident, yeah, in the chaos. Right. Yeah. You learned so sure. many things from that chaos. And then order is the execution, right? So when you've got, when, so another way to look at, you know, order and chaos might be creativity and rigidity, right? So if you're going to say chaos is bad and order is good, then you would say creativity is good and rigidity is bad. If you are a being of pure order, you may be very good at executing things, but you're never going to create anything new. Right. You're going to go stagnant. Mm-hmm. Right. Any deviation from your plan is going to is going to break the system. Well, and when you come back down to this idea that you were talking about of specialization, mm-hmm. right? That's where I think you have these groups of people who glom onto each other. Right. One person is really good at executing an idea, and one person is really good at coming up with wild ideas. You know, you had this in the video game world. Right. Where you would have people come to you and say, "Okay, generate a whole bunch of ideas for this X. Mm -hmm. Right. You turn in that art and then someone else would say, "Okay, we're picking this. We're picking this. It fits with this structure. That's what we're doing. Right. So we've started to specialize even the idea of who makes the decision. Mm, And I sure. And I, you know. Personally, I don't know that that's necessarily good in the long run for like... Well, you need a, you need a benevolent dictator. Yeah, right. Sense, yeah. Don't you? But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, specialization is, uh, uh, you know, it may be unsustainable as well um, because you're right. Who then is capable of making those decisions to glue all those pieces together if that person is so specialized in the fundamentals of decision making that they don't have any room for understanding of the individual parts. Right. You know, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one, but, um, I think that, you know, this whole chaos and order thing is, is, is an important, uh, is an important topic, uh, especially for people who want to work by their own schedule, you know, and especially for creative types. Um, you know, you guys work in this space where you're creating these, these wild ideas and and you're exploring, you know, the depths of your imagination, but then when do you execute that and how do you keep yourself to a schedule and how do you stay motivated to actually produce the work that's going to sustain you? You know, like you need to sell something at the end of the day right? or you need to be paid somehow. Right. So, in order for it to be a job, yeah. Right. Rather so than just a pursuit. So where is that balance? Because you can't just sit around in your basement and dream up all these really cool ideas and then never execute them. Right. No but one you, shows up with a clipboard saying like, hey, we're here from the uh, um, Potential Energy Bureau and we think that you have a lot of potential <laughs> energy and we'd really like, you know, I'm looking at my notes here and you've got some great ideas that haven't been yeah, realized. Right. Do you think you could bring those out into the world? <laughs> That's not going to happen, right? Is what you're saying. Yeah. So you have to find the time to execute. You have to find the time to execute right. it. Well, how do you do that? Because that's what you're doing. You're... Yeah, routine. Again, I use routine as a tool to do that. Um, like I say, I've identified the times that I'm most productive. And uh, I think there's just something to be said about a daily routine. Okay, I don't want to let you off the hook yet. Let's imagine someone is, is right now listening to this and saying, oh, well, this sounds great in theory, mm-hmm. but how do I figure out when I'm most productive? 
And what do I do when my most productive time is in conflict with the expectations of my regular schedule? My first thing with that, like what I started to notice when I was kind of like um, working to my own schedule is I needed deadlines. I needed events. Like I couldn't just work with nothing at the end of that. I needed to know, okay, at the end of this month, I'm going to a trade show. I'm showcasing all this stuff. I'm going to try to sell it. Like that is my goal. So I have like that motivation and um, that reason to kind of keep my schedule and, and keep productive. Um, print deadlines with books and stuff like that as well kind of kept me on track. But anytime I have like a month or two of free time where I don't have like anything set, I feel like I just kind of fall to pieces and I'm not as productive as when I have that goal at the end of the journey. Right. Yeah. So well, and shows do that for us. Shows right? really do that. Like that's kind of my, I feel like a huge, it's the rocket fuel that like keeps yeah. this thing going. It's interesting though. It's like when we're talking about that, then we're talking about a macro scale rather than a day where you have to separate, you know, your execution from your uh, exploration. Now we're talking about like, a month period where okay. we're exploring all these ideas, making up a bunch of stuff, and then you have to stop making but up stuff. But isn't that just breaking it down? Like, race. here's your month. You break it down. Okay, that last week is when everything needs to go to print. Okay, right. well, the week before that, I've got to finish it up. The week before that, I'm painting. The week before that is, like, coming up with it all and getting it all ready to go. Right. And so what I'm asking, or maybe what I'm talking about, I'm not asking a question now. I'm just pontificating. Okay. Uh, should that structure... I'm really, I've been doing a lot of reading right now and I'm just kind of obsessed with the notion that the way we do small things is the way we do everything, right? The way we do anything is the way we do everything is kind of the idea, right? And so should we, should you and I, would we, you and I benefit from structuring our day to have all of those pieces in every day according to a routine rather than let our routine be a monthly schedule? Like is there too much wildness at the beginning of the month and too much routine and execution at the end and is that ultimately harming our entire process this is my this is my query when i when i watch the way the two of you work uh that's the magic box to me i don't get it i don't understand how you do what you do um mm. and how you stay motivated and how you work on a day-to-day -day basis i'm constantly amazed by it uh, because I don't think I could work the way that you guys do. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a man of routine, and and I think that a daily routine is is just sort of helpful. Um, it just, you know, like you just kind of get the machine moving, and once the machine's moving, then you know, you know that you're working towards towards whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, I think that there are going to be a few different kind of systems, you know, and and anyone who's listening who's thinking. Um, you know, I really want to do my own thing and I, and I, you know, want to, you know, sell my ideas and, uh, or my art or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I think that there are a few different systems that you can use to, to try to get there. Uh, so, uh, as I, as I alluded to earlier, when I started working for this company, um, I started working as a contractor. And so, uh, the way that our contract worked was, um, I would just charge units right and and units were just units of time spent working so any hour that i worked i got you know that's a unit sold right, right? so there's a price ah. there's a price on on an hour yeah and so i only get paid 
for the hours that I work. And the nice thing about working in that sort of style was that like, if I didn't feel like working today, I don't have to, I'm not going to work, you know, but that also means I'm not going to get paid. So in months when, you know, the, the bank account is kind of hurting a little bit, well, maybe I just work a little more, right? You know, just kind of balance that out. I think that there's something, I think that there's something there that I think young creatives can also do there. If you kind of treat yourself as a contractor and you say an hour of work is, is worth, you know, this much money. And I, and I don't, you can look at your finances at the end of the year and just try to figure figure out some sort of price that that might be. Yeah. And we're not talking about like, you know, driving your Rolls Royces. We're talking about like a sustainable living condition. Yeah. And, and as a result, I, you know, I created a, you know, I've got a, I've got a development journal, uh, with the amount of hours that I've worked in every single day and what I worked on. And I think that that has been a really, really important skill that I've carried forward now that I work salary. Um, but I maintain, so what did I work on today? You know, at the end of every day, I spend 15 minutes or 20 minutes or something like that to just write down what it is that I worked on today, how much time approximately I, I took on it. And of course, how much time I worked overall in the day. And I found that to be really, really helpful. You're like a production manager's like wet dream. <laughs> no, nobody likes doing that on their own. <laughs> no, <laughs> we always had to get like, or we're maybe, always forced to do that. You know what? There's at least one person in this room right now who does <laughs> like doing that, right? right? Yeah. Where's Sam when I need her? Yeah. Uh, she also likes doing that. Uh, yeah. guys. Dan, Dan's here in the room also. No, no he, doesn't he doesn't like, like doing, doing that. Phew. But, okay. but what I'm, but what I'm trying to express in this is that I feel that that keeps you honest with yourself. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily share that with my boss or coworkers or anything right, like right. that. It's for me, yeah. you know, so that I can keep myself honest because I, you know, you have to drive yourself, right? Especially when you like are self-employed and you're running your own business, man, you've got nobody coming down on you to, to, you know, get you working. You have to do that yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you are your own boss. Make something so that you keep yourself honest. Ultimately, martial art means honestly expressing yourself. Now, it is very difficult to do. I have lots of projects that I'm putting time into for the future, right? So part of how I see my creative journey being sustainable is that I must always have a project that's available to a publisher should serendipity occur and you're in that elevator, you're in that room, you have a thing that you're passionate about, and if they say, show it to me, you can. And it can't be the thing that you just sold to someone else, mm -hmm. right? That's, it's not sustainable for, you, for the thing that you're always showing your new potential client to be a thing you already sold to another client because that's already gone and they don't want to do something you gave to someone else. You have to have something new and fresh. Mm -hmm. So what I've found the, the real benefit in this last year of putting the board up and using the scrum system is that I keep myself honest in that, mm -hmm. okay, these five things I did aren't paying me now but I did them and I know these have value in the future. They build up that potential energy. Those baskets of eggs are gonna be- Yeah, right, they might, pick turn those up in, later. they might turn into chickens or velociraptors depending mm -hmm. on how you heat them up. But that's where I can feel the balance tip. So if I'm putting too much into the future, then the present is suffering, mm -hmm. right? And that's when you're talking about the, mm -hmm. the bank account, the whatever, yeah. the project, right? Where you're like, okay, I gotta put more into the present day pile 
in order to tip the balance back, right? Not mm -hmm. always be like dreaming of the future project, but yeah. staying grounded. And that's, well, that's been my Actually, balance. it's kind of come up for both of us in the last couple of months. Um, choosing a project, you know, you can work, a project comes up and this will take like three months of your time, um, but it's going to take all your time. So you're going to take on that project or there are some Comic-Con, some trade shows that you could do instead which will be more like financially rewarding, yeah. but long term they don't have that tail. Yeah, the and that's what down. you're talking about. Yeah, that yeah. is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, like I working on Red Earth is a good example because you know I finished a book for it, and we have the stage show, and you know we have um, some new technology essentially that we're trying to develop that would make it possible to adapt a whole bunch of stuff that we're doing to other shows. Um, and so I'm having to put all my time and energy into this into this gamble essentially that may or may not pay off and then you're trying to balance like when you're talking about finding that balance what is the thing that's good no matter what mm -hmm. like for me one of my sort of touchstones was if the show is terrible if the technology fails if nobody likes our stage show yeah. and we can't mount it in other cities and other places i have a book that i finished during that time and i can go and do what i normally do which is go and sell that book to other places. Does so any I, of that translate into what you're doing? Like if tomorrow the company you're working for just closed its door and it no longer a thing, all these little elements that you've built over time, is that mm -hmm. something that you can turn into something else? Yeah, what if the internet it, was over? Then what would you do? Well, uh, well just, yeah, the way that know. we can recycle our work into other things yeah. and kind of transmute that depends a lot i mean technically the company that i work for owns the software that i've produced okay. so far um so no i wouldn't be able to the turn tricks around you've and, learned the things yeah, that you've gained yeah, from it absolutely i mean okay. i've learned mm -hmm. an unbelievable amount yeah. in the four years that i've been working for this company you know knowledge is is that's the thing that's going to be that i'd be able to turn around and do mm -hmm. you know if my company sunk tomorrow, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd either have to start something on my own, which I feel I'm a little bit better equipped to do from a technological standpoint. I don't know how to run a business. I don't really want to know how to run a business. Right. Um, so I'd have to figure, you know, somebody else out to help me with that. Mm -hmm. uh, or I would go into whatever tech companies I think are really cool and explain to them what I did. And, you know, if I, if I can, if I can express my technical abilities in a way that they can, that they can understand, uh, then I, I suspect that that knowledge would carry over, but no, not the, uh, not the actual product. Um, something that I believe is really, really important in keeping myself motivated and keeping myself sort of on track is a sense of reward and punishment. Um, because if there is no consequence for your action, positive or negative, then how do you sustain that action? You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, when I was working as a contractor, it's very cut and dry. If I don't work today, I'm not going to get paid. You're if right. I work today, I'm going to get paid. But that's something that I'm really interested about the two of you. We do have, you have any sort definitely of, definitely that. Yeah. Is there, there a reward punishment type? Yeah. You going go to a convention yeah. and having that new piece like fly off the shelf or is, not or not. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's always a bit of a gamble. Um, that's huge having like a four and you've, you've helped me out at these shows before. So you've kind of seen firsthand 
having four days of like hundreds of people come up and gush about how much yeah. they love what you're doing. But see, that's is, always... So that's the reward. And then the risk or the punishment is you got to work for a month with uh, no input, but no see, external these are, drive. These are no. long-term. Like I'm almost thinking more of like a, like a Pavlovian uh, type of response mechanism. You know, like if I don't do this today, uh, how am I going to pay for it? Like later, I want, I need an immediate feedback. Yeah, you need that in a day-to-day. You know day what to I day. mean? Like what you're talking about is is a span of months. You know, if, if, if you put in six hours on this piece and make it all it can be, you know that eventually it's going to sell or you mm-hmm. hope eventually it's going to yeah. sell. And you're, and you're constantly reading the crowd to see what sells and what doesn't. But on a day-to-day basis, how do you, how do you keep like a reward or, uh, or punishment type thing? Uh, one thing that I do that I've done ever since I was started teaching um, was a change in mindset of the have tos versus the get tos. Oh. Right? It sounds silly, but if you wake up in the morning, you say, "I get to wake up early today, and I get to go teach some kids, and I get to like work over my lunch break on something that I wanted to do." Right? Mm-hmm. It changes from, "Oh, I have to get up mm-hmm. early." Oh, I have to teach all these kids. Mm-hmm. I have to, right? And if you just switch it to a proactive role, sure. I find that the, the, the reward is the task itself, mm-hmm. right? That I try to get myself into the mentality of not, oh, I have to drive to Calgary 16 hours, yeah. but I get to listen to audiobooks. Uh-huh. I get to have a conversation with my editor. I get to have... So it's a matter well, of perspective. It's 100% perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, there is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Man, at the end of the day, if you get to make money for doing what you love, then, you know, you're winning, right? There's going to be some days where you don't want to wake up and you don't want to do this, but man, like... But even when you have shit days, yeah, and the day is going to be filled with stuff that you'd rather not, mm-hmm. like the rather not days, <laughs> yeah. right? You still have to get yourself into the mindset of, right, I get to. Mm-hmm. I get to get all this shitty stuff that I have to do this week done today, right? And that is part of that risk-reward for me. That's where that balance is. It's something that, uh, um, you know, my friend Cal calls it bulletproof optimism. That's her own word for, like, how she sometimes has to look at things. Like, yeah. everything's a risk, and there's no way to know if it will turn out. So you just need to turn on your bulletproof optimism yeah. and... Actually, that's Jumping a great way frame. that I would, I think that describes Greg pretty well. Yeah, Bulletproof so. optimist, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's not, it's, it's, uh, if you're always that way, then it's going to tip, that balance tips out, right? You balance, yeah. So, you know, having a, uh, a wife whom I love and trust who I don't have to be that person yeah. for her in the arena of our, of our marriage and our uh, parenting, I don't have to always be the optimist for that because we're figuring it out together. It lets me tip the other way. And so when I find, um, when you're talking about that risk reward, when I find I have to dump too much and expect too much from my loved ones to refill my optimism bucket, that's when I know I need to sort of sort out my own balance again. But see, that balance again is is important. And And I would bring this back to your get to have to thing. It's that you don't, don't turn all of your have-tos into get-tos. Acknowledge that there are have-tos and embrace them. Yeah. You don't have to put a positive spin on it. Some days you're going to have a shitty day. Sometimes you're going to have to do some shitty work. But by doing that stuff that you have to do, right. 
you get to do those other things. Yeah, this idea that everything needs to be stress-free and everything needs Absolutely to be not. like yeah. amazing all the time is it's just silly and it's not attainable. And I think people get yeah. like yeah. stressed out because they, get they anxiety, think yeah. there are people out there well, who don't true. have bad Someone days. who sees only your best days assumes, like yeah. you even Which, said, like yeah, you get to make to money internet, doing yeah. the thing that you most love to do. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff have to's yeah. that we don't love to do. Yeah as keeping this whole ship afloat mm -hmm. but we sustain it through the through the love of the time that we put aside to do the stuff we like to do yeah i mean there there are a couple of analogies that kind of come into my into my mind just on that on that topic you know first of all you know how is it that people portray themselves in public and certainly on social media you know like you're always presenting your best self uh, but you're not giving a, a very realistic indication of the real you. Right. You know, mm -hmm. the real you has some quiet and down times. Running water never grows stale. So you got to just keep on flowing. Another interesting thing might be the way that um, corporations tend to use talent. You know, like if, if you know, a big company, let's call it Starville, <laughs> comes along and you know uh hires a hires an artist you know and just saps all their best work let's out call of him them. dustin you know yeah dustin <laughs> uh and saps all the best work out of dustin then starville has this incredible product right and then you know what you don't see though is that they're constantly discarding used artists yeah Right. And so it's like, hey, get the best out of this person, you know, this, you know, this talented person and then on to the next. It's as like a juicer. They squeeze the orange squeeze until there's it, nothing left and throw toss the box it away, get a new box. Yeah. And so that can create the illusion that, you know, OK, Starville keeps on putting out this top notch product, but yeah. it's not it's not the product of any one person. It's not sustainable uh, to an individual's life. Right. You know, whereas the two of you, you need to sustain, because this is your life. Yeah. You can't just take a contract with Starville and let them juice you out. Right. And then, you know, what, what's left of you? What do you do after that? And that comes back to that thing I was saying about that three-month project yeah. that might have had a tail, but instead I chose to do the conventions, which are an income and finances I can depend right. on. I, and it was with a company, not Starville, but another company um, that wanted a lot of my time and wasn't necessarily willing to pay for my time, but they promised a lot of like potential maybe afters. Right. And you have to kind of weigh that against like, okay, is this actually gonna, is this really gonna be the, the golden goose that keeps giving back? Or is this just going to, is going to take away from me in the yeah. long term yeah totally um and i think there's sort of like three um uh, you know i divide my t i try to divide my time in three areas like the sort of like you know we've been calling it dream smoke in the studio lately like mm. i'm going to put a certain amount of energy into talking to these people about potential projects in the hopes that maybe there's enough dream smoke that it'll fill the balloon enough that it can lift up off the ground right yeah but it's a it's a they'll take all of your time away yeah. if you let them yes and so having to say no i'm not available because i'm doing this hard work which is organizing and sorting prints and like getting all this like the infrastructure of a 10-day book tour which is what's coming up for us right which is just labor it's just physical labor of getting all that stuff 
and then also having energy to do the actual creative labor of the projects that I'm already working on, mm -hmm. right? And so, but what I find is that you can get caught up in any one of those too much. And it's been good for me to be in the studio. If I was in this studio alone, it'd be a lot different. But when I see Justin switch gears, I don't always switch the same gear, but it asks me. It's always a, a key to me, like, okay, he spent this much time doing this, and now he's doing that. Should I reevaluate? Do I need to switch gears too? No, my task is different. I can stay on it. Mm -hmm. But it's just that for me, that observation is that mental switch of someone else who is also moving forward all the time, mm -hmm. asking me to reevaluate which of these three things I should be in. Yeah. So. Yeah, and vice versa, it helps seeing what you're doing. On um, yeah, helps me switch gears as well. Is that why you started packing for Calgary? Because it is. Yeah, <laughs> I saw. I can't. So, but it, so here was another switch. Like I had something else I was supposed to that I was planned to do uh, this morning, and then it didn't work. And rather than be like, oh well, I guess I'll just do whatever I feel like it. It was this knowledge of routine. It was like I know I have this huge amount of stuff to get ready for that. It's either this Journey. week or next week. This right? week or next week. So if I have these two and a half hours that I didn't expect to have today, I'm going to do a bunch of work I don't want to do now so that I don't have to do it later. Right. Right. So it was hauling all these heavy boxes out and sorting all this junk yeah. and, you know, getting everything together. Yeah. It's interesting. Sometimes you just got to keep moving, and get it done. Yeah. I want to switch things up for a second. Um, Here comes a punch. Yep. <laughs> no, he knows how to duck. Um, so say I'm, I'm a new freelancer. I just quit my full-time job. I'm going to start working from home. Um, me personally, I don't work from coffee shops, but I know both of you guys work in coffee shops quite often. And I wanted to know, as somebody starting out, what is your advice on working in other places other than your house? You know, this is, and this is the last, this was probably the last thing that, um, that I really wanted to talk about is the social element. Mm. Um, you know, the remote work, especially in the software industry, can be really isolating. You know, it's just me and a computer, and if I want to stay in my apartment all day in my office, I can do that. And, um, and that shouldn't really affect the, the quality of the work that I do. But it does. But it, but it does. does. Yeah. So again, it's all about balance, right? So even though I don't have any coworkers in this city, I still find that I need to be in a social environment because there's some stimulation there that keeps me productive. Maybe there's like a little bit of a panopticon effect, right? Like nobody's looking at what I'm doing. Nobody's judging it like my work ethic or anything like that. But I feel almost like, you know, if I'm in a social environment and I'm working, I need to be working. Right. I'm not on my phone. I'm not yeah. on, you know, surfing whatever on the internet. I'm working. You know, and um, and that is probably the biggest struggle for me personally, is how do I get that social stimulation uh, without actually having any coworkers? That's the big one. That is a big one. Um, and so if uh, if you know we're talking to a young freelancer who wants to pursue this kind of work, or an old person who is yeah. welcome I, to the freelance life. Yeah, yeah, I would just say keep it in mind because I think it's a very big thing. So yeah. if you go to cafes or as the two of you have done, um, you've rented this incredible studio where you've got this creative space and you can just constantly bounce ideas off. I of still you. need to leave it though. I still, like, like you say, I go, but when I'm writing or when I'm like really trying to work a problem, I love the white noise of a busy restaurant or cafe. Hmm. If it's not busy, I can't work there. 
Like yeah. I don't want a quiet yeah. space of somebody else's. Because otherwise you could just do that. I could do that here. Mm -hmm. I need all of this random non-sequitur information to be pouring in from outside. And the act of having to push it away creates clarity for me. Yeah. I think maybe along those same lines, I find um, I come up with my best ideas in the middle of a busy convention while I'm working. Mm -hmm. It's like because I'm in another city, because I can't work on anything, um, and because I'm surrounded by like all this other artwork, all these other creatives, that's like those three days or four days at a convention, I will just be thumbnailing and coming up with ideas like nonstop. Yeah, in the backs of uh, a dear listener, if you're a Chasing Artwork fan, you go to his... Uh, booth all of his prints are on these little stands and the backs of those stands <laughs> usually when he runs out of paper are the storyboards of our next project are usually on the back of those stand-ups <laughs> right so he'll come back and he'll bring all these big <laughs> sheets of cardboard that he'd used to display his art with all the new storyboards and all the new ideas and he's like okay here's our next book don't lose these oh man you're setting up a real problem <laughs> yeah, i think <laughs> steal my displays <laughs> so if you'd like to buy one of his displays, I will. <laughs> Please contact Gregory Kamichuk. Yeah. At. Um, so you're talking about this social element of like the coffee shop. For me, it's also a social side, but you do other things for balance, right? Like you join, like you're in a boxing club and Which you is guys, where we met. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boxing. Right. And mm -hmm. that is, as I understand it, how you ended up first going to a show with him is you just met some dude that you thought could handle flying to another city and having the chaos of a show, even though yeah. you didn't really yeah. know each other. I think yeah we were we just got along and I feel like somebody dropped I thought I was bringing somebody else it was me and a uh, good friend Will Little who worked on Cassie and Tonk and Ian knew him quite well as well um, and I think we had a third person who couldn't make it um, so kind of last minute like I think I gave you like two weeks notice kind of thing do you want to come to Calgary for four days all expenses paid and yeah and you were like, sure, let's yeah. go on an adventure. I'll get lots of work done. Little story-eyed, <laughs> story-eyed, thinking, wow, I'm going to go to a, to a great con, like Comic-Con and, and have a great time. Be Little so relaxed. Yeah, 15 hours a day working <laughs> The chaos of the chasing art. Yeah, that was like your first introduction to anything. Like, And I think I purposely like, didn't tell him much because I knew what was coming you and I didn't want to scare him off. You know, Justin, you are this uh, perplexing blend of business and creative. I'm, uh, I'm, That's a great word. Yeah, you are perplexing. I am, uh, <laughs> I am constantly in awe how, how, uh, how sharp of a business sense this guy has while he's like, you know, just, I'm drawing Gundams today and dragons. <laughs> and it's like, wait, how, what? <laughs> It's but true. he knows this guy knows how to make some money. I mean, he's he's got a great business sense. <laughs> when when I started doing freelance and stuff, uh, was when I started running, and I found that was like a huge, great element to include, like just the endorphins and having a bit of exercise in your life. So if you have to stay inside all day, um, doing some exercise every yeah. once in a while is like really gets the creative juices flowing. It's just a yeah. very good idea in general. Yeah. I don't know. And then having your friends up. throw punches at your face. Do you want to tell the story of the black guy? Or there's not much of a story. We were just. It's not uh, a cool story to go yeah, with it. It's just. Uh, it's got me so much credit. The you're boxing not as fast gym. as you used to be. Is that Fine, what it is? I'm quick. I'm yeah. He's spelt. He's spelt. <laughs> He's spelt. Well, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Um, we've been talking uh, to Ian about work-life balance, and we encourage you to include that as you join the fight and make comics.